I have heard it said that when any strange, supernatural, and necromantic adventure has occurred to a human being, that being, however desirous he may be to conceal the same, feels at certain periods torn up as it were by an intellectual earthquake, and is forced to bear the inner depths of his spirit to another. I am a witness of the truth of this. I have dearly sworn to myself never to reveal to human ears the horrors to which I once, in excess of fiendly pride, delivered myself over. The holy man who heard my confession and reconciled me to the church is dead. None knows that once. Why should it not be thus? Why tell a tale of impious tempting of providence and soul-subduing humiliation? Why, answer me, ye who are wise in the secrets of human nature, I only know that so it is, and in spite of strong resolve, of a pride that too much masters me, of shame, and even of fear so to render myself odious to my species, I must speak. Genoa my birthplace, proud city, looking upon the blue Mediterranean. Dost thou remember me in my boyhood, when thy cliffs and promontories, thy bright sky and gay vineyards were my world? Happy time, when to the young heart the narrow-bounded universe, which leaves by its very limitation free scope to the imagination, enchains our physical energies, and sole period in our lives, innocence and enjoyment are united. Yet, who can look back to childhood and not remember its sorrows and its harrowing fears? I was born with the most imperious, haughty, tameless spirit. I quailed before my father only, and he, generous and noble, but capricious and tyrannical, at once fostered and checked the wild impetuosity of my character, making obedience necessary, but inspiring no respect for the motives which guided his commands. To be a man, free, independent, or in better words, insolent and domineering, was the hope and prayer of my rebel heart. My father had one friend, a wealthy Genoese noble, who in a political tumult was suddenly sentenced to banishment and his property confiscated. The Marchese Torella went into exile alone. Like my father, he was a widower. He had one child, the almost infant Juliet, who was left under my father's guardianship. I should certainly have been unkind to the lovely girl, but that I was forced by my position to become her protector. A variety of childish incidents all tended to one point, to make Juliet see in me a rock of defence, I in her, one who must perish through the soft sensibility of her nature too rudely visited, but for my guardian care. We grew up together. The opening rose in May was not more sweet than this dear girl. An irradiation of beauty was spread over her face. Her form, her step, her voice. My heart weeps even now to think of all of relying, gentle, loving, and pure that she enshrined. When I was eleven and Juliet eight years of age, a cousin of mine, much older than either, he seemed to us a man, took great notice of my playmate. He called her his bride and asked her to marry him. She refused, and he insisted, drawing her unwillingly towards him. 
With the countenance and emotions of a maniac, I threw myself on him. I strove to draw his sword. I clung to his neck with the ferocious resolve to strangle him. He was obliged to call for assistance to disengage himself from me. On that night I led Juliet to the chapel of our house. I made her touch the sacred relics. I harrowed her child's heart and profaned her child's lips with an oath that she would be mine, and mine only. Well, those days passed away. Torella returned in a few years and became wealthier and more prosperous than ever. When I was seventeen, my father died. He had been magnificent to prodigality. Torella rejoiced that my minority would afford an opportunity for repairing my fortunes. Juliet and I had been affianced beside my father's deathbed. Torella was to be a second parent to me. I desired to see the world, and I was indulged. I went to Florence.